0: James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works.
1: movies, enough shows, that if I ask you to take a moment and describe a courtroom scene, high-profile case, my guess is that many of us would come to a lot of the same kinds of descriptors for that. My guess is we would say, well, there's going to be witnesses and there's going to be statements. There's going to be, oh, there's going to be questions. There's going to be cross-examination, there's gonna be precedents cited, there's gonna be hypothetical situations, there's gonna be arguments and examples and analogies, maybe expert witnesses called as well. And as we trek into this portion of James 2, there's actually a lot of things going on. It's not exactly a court case, It's it's, it's not that, it's a letter written by a pastor Jesus' half-brother named James. But there's so much going on with examples and questions and hypothetical situations that I think it's really helpful for us to realize a lot of different layers are going on so that as we read and as we process this, we can have a better understanding of exactly what is going on because it's going to tell you some important things about faith, particularly about your faith and how it is playing out. A table is set, really, in verse 14, so I hope you have God's Word in front of you. James chapter 2 and verse 14, and, and the words are going to be up on the screen today most of the time, but I'd love for you to be able to follow along in some sort of a personal copy of God's Word. James 2.14, a couple questions are asked right there at the beginning, right? So one of those questions is, what good is it, my brothers, what good is it if someone says he has faith? but does not have works. And the expected answer to that question is, it's no good at all. What good is it? None at all. If someone claims they have faith, and yet there's nothing that goes along with that. The second question there in verse 14 is similar. And all all this lays the foundation for the whole passage that we're looking at today. Can that, that kind of faith, can that faith save him? And the expected answer is, no way. That kind of faith is not going to save him. Two questions right up front. Challenging a person who claims, who claims to have faith. So a question you can even just entertain right at the beginning is, why does a pastor write these kinds of words? What is going on in James' mind with the people he's addressing, in which he senses these are the kind of words I need to talk to a family of believers a family of people who claim to believe. I need to talk to them about their faith. Well, what kind of faith is he addressing? Well, there's there's lots of different kinds of faith. There's a generic kind of faith where this is kind of the Hallmark card sort of faith where you believe in believing and you have faith and faith and it just really never kind of finds its edges. It just comes out at Christmas time. comes out in lots of different decorations, you know, just... It's all about faith. Well, what is that kind of faith? I don't think that's actually what James is addressing. I think James has a a different kind of target, and that target would be people who give some sort of claim to believe in God, to follow Jesus. So the survey comes, and the question is, like, what religion are you? And I think James is aimed for the people that would say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And by that, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I believe in God. I think that's who James is speaking to. By the way, there, there are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people in this world that are addressed by that. People who claim to be Christians of some court, some sort, some kind. In this passage, what he's saying is that you can make that claim, and at times that claim is actually going to be dead. He's going to use the word useless. He's going to say like nothing's going on even though there's a claim there. He's aiming, although I, I, I really think he's, he's speaking words that will help us all. He's actually aiming, I think, at pretenders. And he's trying to help us discern, do I have a real kind of faith, a genuine faith? Because there is a danger. This is actually a warning. There is a danger in claiming you have some faith and really you don't. So it gives a push to, okay, It's not just about faith, but it's also about works as well. It's not just about what you believe, but it's also kind of what goes along with that claim of belief. And James is going to use again and again the word works, and we're going to come back and dig into this a little bit further. But I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear works, but if you have any sort of religious background, probably some sort of, I don't know, volunteer hours, community service, uh, charitable giving, maybe all that's kind of wrapped up in works, doing nice things for people. Uh, Maybe works is like, attending services like this, maybe going through rituals, uh, maybe saying certain prayers that you know you're supposed to, maybe all of that. I, I don't know exactly what comes to your mind when you think of works, but James is saying there is faith, and accompanying that faith is works as well. And he's saying there are, I really see it kind of divided up into four different scenarios that I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at. Four different scenarios, and again, if we kind of even bring a arguments and examples and hypothetical situations and conclusions I think it's going to help us appreciate exactly what James is doing with those scenarios the first is in verse 15 and 16 verse 15 and 16 where James says if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, James says, what good is that? So actually James, as he's teaching, as he's making his case, he's going to start with some negative examples for us to understand and process exactly what he's driving home. This first example is an example of a needy brother and sister. A needy brother or sister. And you meet that person, and you don't do anything with, with that encounter. And we observe, like, when someone does that, when they encounter the needy brother or sister, and they go, you need to get that taken care of. You're, you're looking hungry. You need to go get yourself some food. Like, well, that's not helping. You need to find a jacket. You should have, well, that's not helping. And so the clear picture is words that don't do anything. Words that don't do anything. The words go into the air and literally nothing changes. No actions are taken, a well-wish. But the hungry person isn't fed. There's no clothing given. The only thing that might have even happened is, oh yeah, the person who thought they were doing something good actually is totally deceived. That might be the only thing going on here is what James is describing. Met with a real need and a real opportunity to meet that need. There's no action, no series of actions are, that are happening, it renders the words you're saying meaningless. James two seventeen says so, or you could say like in the same way, faith by itself, just like a claim of faith, words out there, a claim of faith if it doesn't have works, is dead. So, like again, you're in a courtroom, you hear the conclusion drawn here, that faith can't really claim to be alive. If this is the response, it's dead. There's no existence. It's separated really from real existence. It's dead. James goes on to make, kind of pull in another example, make some more points. He says in verse 18, and again we have like a hypothetical person, someone will say, so someone has an objection, like someone's going to say, well isn't it an either or thing, James? Isn't it like, you have have faith and I have works? Doesn't it kind of work like, you like to believe stuff, and I like to do stuff. I'm kind of a person of action. You're a person of belief, and we're each finding our own way, true to our own heart, true to our own self. Isn't it like each person's just got to be true themselves? And James says, it is absolutely not that way. Categorically, it doesn't work that way. And he says, even at the end of verse 18, show me your faith apart from your works. Like, it it just doesn't exist. The only way you're going to be able to show that you have faith is by what fills out the content. That's the only display like, well, what's happening in your life? And he also says, I will show you my faith by my works. You can see what I believe by how I live my life, by how I order my life. They aren't separate things. Faith and works are meant to have like, when they're genuine, they don't come from separate places as if you can divide a line and say, most of these people are kind of faith-oriented. Most of these people, their work, it's the same root. And look at what James describes next to help us see it is the same root true faith and true works. James 2.19 says, okay, so you believe that God is one. He's kind of pulling from a lot of the confession that people of Israel would make. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, you believe that God is one. Good for you. You do well. Congratulations. Yeah, the demons the demons believe that, and they shudder. So do you, do you really want to sh- be shown in and the language, the rhetoric kind of escalates here, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. You really need me to show you, because I can show you, but we're, we're going into the demonic realm for me to prove this to you. That's the second example, right? It's not just the needy brother or sister, it's terrified demons. Terrified demons, James is going to use to make the case. Through what is said about demons, we observe there, there's a mutual, there's kind of a, a mental acknowledgement that doesn't result in love, it actually results in fear. So there's an acknowledgement mentally, okay, the demons believe this, they acknowledge that God is one, and they do that, but it doesn't result in anything that is God-honoring. There's no action motivated by belief or reliance on God, even when there's acknowledgement of, oh yeah, I believe that. The only response is terror. James says, surely you don't think that's saving faith, right? That's, that's not going to save anybody. So again, James is helping us see you can say things and you can say you believe things, but what about works? And now maybe a really helpful time to think through, okay, what are the works? Because James talks a lot about them in James 1 through 5. I'm mean, really, the whole book is about works. But I think if we could just narrow down and maybe reduce some categories, what are the works that James talking, is talking about? I think one category of those works would be this would be intentional sacrificial acts motivated by love for God and love for a neighbor. So what are we talking about when we're talking about works? We're talking about intentional sacrificial acts that are motivated out of love of God and love for neighbor, meeting the needs of people as they present themselves. This is exactly what the first person did not do, right? They saw a need, did not meet it. There was no intentionality, no sacrifice, just kind of walked on by. Yet, I also think in James, these aren't the only kind of works. I think there's another kind of works, and that is a, a deep confidence. Well, what, what other works could we be talking about? A deep confidence in and devotion to Jesus that's manifested in what we desire and what we do, and I could say a deep confidence or reliance or trust or belief, deep, deep confidence in, in a devotion to Jesus that actually manifests itself in what we desire and what we do. Because when we, when we trust in Christ, when we are saved, when we are rescued, old things pass away, everything becomes new. We are not the same. The whole control panel of our heart, what we desire, what we want, and what we do has changed for us. It's changed. And James is saying the way we know something has changed is by the actions that follow. Then we can look and go, oh, I see works. I see a different desire and I see different actions. What we do, that person is different. They have a faith. They claim to know Jesus and look at their life and what that is proving to be the case. Those are works. And by the way, the demons, the demons don't have either one of these. The demons don't have the intentional acts of love or sacrifice for others. They don't have a deep confidence in and reliance on Jesus. The demons don't have that. And big talkers who say, well, you know what you need to do, you need to, and really don't do anything, they don't have this either. James is drawing these lines for us. If the demons are an example of, you can even say you believe, you can even have a, a mental acknowledgement of something, but really have no, no concrete things going on in your life, if the demons show a life that is far from God, there is a counterexample of that. And that is in verse 21. This is so helpful. It's, okay, we, we know what the demon is like. They just, they just are terrified by God. But there's another person in the Bible. James 2 verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father? You want to know how it really should work? Abraham was justified. He was declared he was made right with God by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. So pay attention to that. He says, you see that faith was active alongside or along with his works. He even says in another way, faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that was said, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You move from a negative to some positive examples here in the Bible. Example number three is Abraham, our father. It's Father Abraham, Right? And Father Abraham, in that you observe a deep reliance, a deep confidence in God that results in Abraham doing what God tells him to do. That results in loving obedience. A lot's going on in these passages and I'd love to take all kinds of time and go to this cross-reference and unpack every single word, but those words are significant. And we don't have time to go through it comprehensively. And James is talking about big stuff when he says, you are justified, declared righteous by God. It's something significant when James says, faith along with works. It, someone's even alluded to it. Is it like a, the senior partner and the junior partner are showing what's going on in this person's life Works bring things to perfection, completion, help it reach the goal. Yeah, actually, in this passage, it's really, really helpful that he mentions Abraham, and it's also helpful to me that he mentions actually two different points in Abraham's life. So the words he uses, did did you read he said Abraham was counted righteous by God? And that's language from Genesis 15. And then he goes to another story decades later in Genesis 22 where Abraham offers Isaac up as a sacrifice. Is willing to do that and those, those actually are separated by decades. Genesis 15, Genesis 22. That's just helpful to know because what God sees is a very different perspective than ours. I know I can remember what happened in the past. I kind of have an idea what's going on right now in the present. But I can't even see five minutes into the future, much less five years, 50 years, five million years. But God knows. And the God who said Abraham is counted righteous is the God who's going to walk with Abraham day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. It's the God who will be his friend as Abraham actually goes up and down in his faith as he makes great decisions, as he makes terrible decisions. As as he navigates, what does it mean to believe God when he cannot see God doing things? Believe God's promises. God is walking with Abraham all throughout this life. That is exactly, so God sees the complete picture, past, present, and future, even when we see a, a partial side of it. And that's why God can say he is counted righteous. And even here, decades later, we're seeing that That righteousness is showing you something's real in Abraham's life. I appreciate that. I appreciate the long obedience in the same direction because I I just, I cannot remember a time where I didn't know songs of the Lord. Some of the songs we sang today that Nick led us. I mean, I've I've sung those songs for decades. I can't remember a time where I didn't know some of those songs. And you go, that's decades of fighting sin, trying to run from sin, sometimes failing and giving in to sin and needing to repent, needing to turn from the Lord. That's decades. That's not just one moment. That's decades. It's decades of trying to, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, to live my life to the glory of God. All the suffering, all the hardship that you go through, like, I I want my life to be lived in that way to where it's showing, yes, I believe that. I have deep confidence in and reliance on God. Pressing through the ups and downs. I mean, with, with any relationship, there are ups and downs. There are times that it's like, feels like intense and strong. And then there are times where it feels like not quite as intense. And yet still in those moments, it's like I've got to still lift my eyes to where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord. He made heaven and earth. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack for anything. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because I know the Lord will bless me and the Lord will keep me. And the Lord will make his face shine upon me. The Lord will give me peace. And that's not just for one little moment in time. That's like written over my whole life. This is Abraham. And by his action, even in sacrificing Isaac, he's showing something. It's like, it's not dead. It's not useless what's going on in Abraham's life. He loved God more than he loved his vision of what Isaac's life would be. He was willing to sacrifice his vision knowing God wants to raise my son from the dead, he'll raise him from the dead. But I will have confidence in who God is. In verse 24, you can see that a person is justified by works and not just by some sort of faith that's empty, just a profession, but nothing going alongside it. In the end, what we can say about Abraham, he's counted righteous. He's a friend of God, and that's good news too. That's actually good news to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ if you put your life in his hands this is good news for those who have understand your relationship with Jesus is more than just about some magic words some incantation that you found and you're going to say these magic words and then everything's going to be wonderful it's this is so so valuable for you to appreciate here all those who have decided I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. The good news is that over time your life is going to bear out what God has all, always known and that is you are justified. God loves you. He has made you his friend. That means your life, what's going to be told over your life is there's going to be a deep reliance that results in obedience. James has one more example that he wants to share with us. And in some ways, is the exact opposite in so many ways of Abraham, but it's an, an example of believing. Look at verse 25. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute? Was she also not justified by works? When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And verse 26 is strong. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Like you can have a body, but if there's no breath in it, it's a dead body. And you can have someone claiming all kinds of things, but if there's no actions that are going along with that claim, if there's no deep confidence and devotion to Jesus, if there's no intentional sacrificial acts motivated by love for God and love for our neighbor, then faith apart from works is dead. But look at, look at Rahab and Father Abraham is like a pillar of faith. Here we have courageous Rahab. He's actually a Gentile. And you see her faith in actions that reveal her believing heart. She uses what God has given her. She uses the house that God had given her, the space that God had given her, and uses those for God's purposes in faith, knowing there was risk involved. She uses oh man, just strategic thinking and quick decision-making to protect these spies that have come into her house. It's a story from Joshua. How different from the one who says, oh yeah, you, you, need, you need to get some clothes on. You need to, you need to get some food. You're, you're hungry. How different is she? She doesn't just say, good luck with all that. But at great risk, intentional, sacrificial acts of love for These two that came into her home, a real need, real opportunity is met with a series of actions and God's people are helped. I can't help but like when Rahab comes up, I just can't help but acknowledge that it's worth reminding ourselves. It's a little detour here, but sometimes we believe that because of something we've done or something we have been, that that is going to write such a strong, like, narrative over our whole life, especially when it comes to sexual sin. We feel like, I, I just won't, I can't, won't ever be able to recover. God could never forgive. I know what I did. I know who I was. And because of that, like, it's just going to be who I am and what I've done. And, and maybe you think that's going to, like, that's all that will ever be said about you and God permanently. And maybe you're like facing a long life going, I just, I think I'm never going to be able to outrun this. This is just worth reminding ourselves of Rahab, who is called the prostitute, and other translations, the harlot. But out of Rahab's story, like God writes a, a whole story. I mean, the book of Joshua goes forward. Canaan is the promised land, and Rahab is right in the middle of that. And then Rahab has descendants, and, and that intersects with the story of Ruth. The beautiful story of Ruth happens, and Rahab is a part of that story. And then Ruth has descendants, and one of those is David, King David, and that's an amazing story. And that intersects with Rahab. And then you go all the way to, we can't tell the story of Jesus without also mentioning one of his, one of his ancestors is Rahab. And you just see, God knows how to write these stories. God knows how to, to put all these things together. God rewrites generations through the, the changed life of one person. And God can do that. God can do that in 2020. God can do that right now with your life. Regardless of what you think your story is going to have to be. It's an amazing thing. So, so can I ask you, as we've looked at faith and works, what, what are we going to do with the needy brother or sister? What are we going to do with like the terrified demons? And what are we going to do with Father Abraham and courageous Rahab? I want to tell you where I'd like for us to go, but I want to tell you one place where you can't go, and you can't go in this kind of direction of like, well, I hear a lot about working, so I better get to working if I'm ever going to get my ticket punched to heaven. If you hear that, you're hearing something I am not saying. You cannot work your way into heaven. Jesus has done the work. You cannot work your way there. That is certainly not what James is saying. It's not what I'm saying. If you hear this and go, well, I I think what I'm going to take away is God helps those who help themselves. Then no, no, no. God helps those who have no chance of helping themselves, who need him to rescue. Now, Actually, I want you to see how faith and works go along together. I want you to know Words like Paul said in Ephesians 2.8, by grace you're saved through faith. It's not, not of works, it's a gift. But we are God's workmanship, created and ordained to do good works. Yeah, we you're saved by grace and you're created to do good works, and these go along together. Same thing Paul was alluding to in Titus 2, that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us, to redeem a people who are his possession ready eager zealous for good works so where should we go at this i want to i want to ask you to take some moments maybe take some time to evaluate and, and maybe here's a starter sentence to kind of help you evaluate okay is faith like is it accompanied by works if, if we were to kind of fill in this, this statement because my confidence This is kind of the faith side of things. Because my confidence is in what Jesus has done for me through his life, death, resurrection, ascension. So in light of that, what then? What works accompany that? What works are driven and animated by that? Here's what I claim to believe. I would imagine most in the room, maybe not all, but most in the room would claim, I believe, I have confidence in, What Jesus did for me, how he lived for me, how he died for me, how he rose again for me, how he's at the right hand of the Father pleading for me. Like, I have confidence in all that. Okay, what goes along with that for you? What's making a difference? No need to filter, like, the results here. No need to, like, God knows. So, like, why are we kidding ourselves? He knows. He knows what's driven by that and what's not. Are there acts of love, trust and obedience, mercy, devotion, are you moving toward brothers and sisters? Or have you grown more apathetic, going through the motions, lazy, selfish? Have you make excuses because, oh, you're just going through this really hard time and, no, 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 what's, what's really going on there? And that, that question you go, that's like an intense question. Maybe, maybe you need some help in evaluating that with a good close friend. Maybe a spouse, maybe your parent. Maybe someone who knows you, someone who loves the Lord, maybe a leader of a a group you're a part of, a class you're a part of, a study you're a part of. Certainly as a pastor, like, I live for conversations like this. Just kind of walk through, how do you you evaluate that with someone? If you feel unsettled, you go, like, Curtis, actually as I evaluate that, I really don't know that I have faith. It, It may be that I'm exactly who James is talking to. I say I believe this, but I, I'm just very, very unsettled with where things are between me and the Lord, and I don't see as much evidence as I'm guessing I should be seeing. If you're unsettled, can we, can we have that conversation? Could we have that sooner rather than later? Could you please, please talk to someone about that? Because James has given us these pictures, he's given us these scenarios so that none of us have to be deceived, none of us have to pretend, we all can look straight forward and go, okay, Lord, here, here is where I am. Show me, teach me, tell me. And take a moment and just even let's, let's pray. I'm going to give you some space to just pray on your own and then uh, lead us in a prayer. And then we'll close focusing again our attention on what Christ has done for us on the cross. Let's pray. Father, your word, it does cut and it also heals. So whatever your word needs to do this morning, I pray that it would do it and we would not just be hearers, but we would put into practice what we've heard. I pray for the person, Lord, it is a burden of mine right now that the person who maybe has made some claim to faith and maybe for the first time there's been some things that have exposed maybe that claim as well-intentioned as it was. Maybe there's no depth to it, no roots to it. So just open, open our eyes so that we can see exactly what's going on. And I pray we'd be motivated to respond in faith and trust to you. Lord, we give you this time, committing it to you, knowing you can do great work with your word. So we say, yes, Lord, do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.